Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Good morning, church, Ville Church. Good to be with you this morning and share uh, what God's laid on my heart from Scripture. Um, so, yeah. It's good to be back with you. I haven't been with you in a while to, to share a message, but uh, looking forward to it today uh, to share with you. Um, and just uh, really enjoying the weather we have right now, uh, the springtime. Just, it's just a beautiful time of year to be out. So uh, just just, just want to say I hope you're having a, a good day and enjoying and just it's good to be with you. This morning um, I want to talk about what happens when we meet Jesus. What happens when someone meets Jesus? You know, we've all had um, a time where we've probably met someone that we'll never forget. You know, it could be someone famous, uh, like a sports star. It could be a politician. It could be a music star or even a movie star, you know. Um, maybe a famous speaker. We've met them, and we're like, we'll never forget this. Um, and to, because I think to be in the presence of someone that's famous or powerful makes us feel more significant. If they take notice of us, uh, shake our hands, look us in the eye, it gives us a sense of being significant for that even that brief moment. Also, we, we call these once-in-a-lifetime meetings because it's something many times we think we'll never meet. Like we, we think we'll never meet the president or we'll never meet this person or that person. And when we get a chance to, it's like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime meeting. It probably will never happen again. And when such a meeting occurs, as I say, we'll never forget it. And we often love to tell others about it. Let me tell you who I met. This is amazing. Let me tell you about this person and how I met them. And sometimes, especially when meeting Jesus, this, it can be a life-changing meeting. It can be many times these meetings with people that are well-known, famous, uh, powerful, they can be life-changing in the meetings. I think about the young men in the EVAC program uh, here in Jacksonville when they met President Obama. How powerful was that for them when he took time to recognize them, uh, speak to them, spend time with them? How, how powerful was that for them to feel they're significant, even to the president? He's got... So many other people, powerful people, vying for his time, and he spent time with them. How powerful is that? I believe they will never forget this meeting. I'm sure they'll never forget it. And I believe, in many ways, it changed them. It changed the way they saw themselves. It changed the way they saw the office of the president. It changed so much for them. It was a, a powerful, life-changing meeting. I've had meetings with people uh, that are famous, and I don't know if they were life-changing for me, but I'll never forget the meetings. Uh, once uh, my family and I were traveling through London uh, on our way either to Africa where we were serving or back to the U.S., I don't remember. And at the airport, I saw a man sitting and I told Connie, I said, you see that man there? He looks like this basketball star. His name was Akeem Olajuwon. Akeem Olajuwon was a, a Nigerian uh, nationality, national played basketball in the U.S. He played for the Houston Rockets and helped them win at least one, maybe more, uh, NBA championships. So I saw this man. I said, he looks like him. I'd see him on television. 
And so I walked over. I said, excuse me, sir, you look like Akeem Olajuwon. And he looked at me and said, well, that's good because I am. And so I said, how much I enjoyed watching him play. And, and then after a bit, he was seated, but then he stood up. And then I realized, this is Akeem Olajuwon. He was seven feet tall. He was a huge man. And so I'll never forget that, just meeting him, how friendly he was, how, you know, welcoming he was to talk with me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I of course, I never thought to ask you, ask you for his autograph. Didn't have anything to, for him to sign, but just to meet him. It was, it was uh, something I'll never forget. And as I said, meeting Jesus is an experience that no one will ever forget. Because this meeting with Jesus, God in human flesh, changes your life. I know it did for me. When I met Jesus, he changed my life. I'd like to look at uh, four people in Scripture who met Jesus and how this encounter changed them. Four people and how this encounter changed them. The first one I'd like to look at is uh, in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And I will read it from Scripture. You can follow along. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is when Jesus met Peter, or Peter met Jesus. The first recorded instance in Scripture where Peter met Jesus. On one occasion, when the crowd was pressing in on him, Jesus, we're speaking of here, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. They had been fishing and they were cleaning their nets up and getting ready to go home. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have told all night and took nothing. We, we, we know what we're doing. We, work, we worked all night. This is not a time to fish, maybe he was saying. This is a morning time. We fish at night. He said, he told him to get out. He said, Master, we've toiled all, all night and, and, and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Obviously, he realized he was a teacher. Maybe he'd heard about him, never met him. But people talked about him. Uh, and uh, he, he called him Master, you know, uh, Rabbi, someone, a teacher. Uh, he said uh, he recognized him as being someone who, with authority, who taught with authority. Uh, he said, I will, at your command, at your wish, um, I will uh, let down the nets. I'll, I'll basically, maybe in some ways he would have said, I'll humor you. I don't expect much to happen, but I'll humor you. And when they had done this, when they had let down their nets, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. They caught nothing all night and in just a matter of minutes, they filled their boats. It says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For, for, all, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. 
As I said, Peter maybe had heard about Jesus, but he never met him. And in that moment, he met him, and it changed his life. He, met, he heard him teaching. Maybe his teaching was powerful, and he said, wow, he has some really powerful teachings. And then he turned around, and he says, Peter, let out into the sea and, and let your nets down. And Peter was like, okay, you know, we've, caught, we've fished all night. I'm a fisherman. You're a teacher. I don't tell you how to teach. I don't know if you can tell me how to fish. But he said, okay, I'll, I'll humor you. I'll let it down. Um, and so he said, Jesus said, let down your nets for a catch. He didn't say, go and try to catch. You know, I used to tell, I like to fish. And I say, I go fishing. I don't always go catching, but I go fishing. But Jesus says, let down your nets for a catch. And uh, Peter was like, you know, okay, I'll, I'll humor you. I'll, I'll let it down. He said, I, we, we've toiled all night. We've caught nothing, but I'll let it down. And when he did, he caught so many fish they couldn't bring him into the boats. The boats started sinking. They were so heavy. And um, Simon was amazed that Jesus could just command and the boats would fill with fish. The nets would fill his fish, which said they could use. And so Peter was realizing, I didn't believe you. I didn't listen to you. I didn't recognize who you are. And so he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. He said, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Someone that's your power and who you are can command and we can catch fish like this. We've toiled all night. We, we haven't caught this many fish in maybe weeks or maybe a month. And in a few minutes, we caught so many fish that it's unheard of. This is a miracle. Can anybody can do a miracle like this and command to see the fish and, and do this. It's more than I can be in their presence. So he told Jesus, leave me, leave me. I'm a sinful man. You don't know me. I'm a sinful man. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. I see. I know what you can become. And so he's telling them to follow me. And they did. They left all. And they followed him. I've been watching this series, maybe many of you have, called The Chosen. And uh, while it's not uh, biblically based, it gives some background to what life was like in, in that time. And then in this scene where Peter meets Jesus and he catches the fish, uh, in the in the chosen, Peter had, as a character was a rough person. He was he first meet him when he's fighting. He's in a fist fight, uh, and he's lived rough. And he got himself into trouble. He owed money to the uh, Romans, some taxes he couldn't pay, and so they were putting pressure on him to pay, or they want to take his boat, his house, everything. Maybe he'd imprison him. So he worked out a deal with it where he would uh, uh, turn in some others, uh, the other Jewish fishermen who were not paying taxes. They were fishing on the Sabbath and. Uh, they were not paying taxes because uh, the religious leaders didn't hold them accountable on the Sabbath because they said they, they're not, they don't even recognize they're doing it. They just ignored they were doing it. So they weren't paying taxes. The Romans warned that tax money. And so because Peter had so much um, uh, money he owed, he made a deal to turn the others in. Uh, and so, but when that didn't happen and he, he, he couldn't go through with it, he tried to get the other fishermen to just give him fish to pay off his debt. And they refused because they said, called him as a traitor. So Everybody turned against him, and, and so in this scene, he was out all night fishing, trying to get some fish to, to pay his debt, and he came in, he had nothing. And so he'd come into shore to, to then hand himself over to the Romans, be turned himself in, and, and be imprisoned, and watch them take everything. His family is, is possessed everything. He didn't know what else to do. And they may, may even kill him, but he'd come ashore to, to do that, and he met Jesus. And Jesus, in a matter of minutes, uh, maybe a little bit longer, I'm not sure, but just very quickly, had provided him with more than enough to pay all his debts. 
in this in this scene. You know, you know how, how accurate that is, nobody knows, but just to see the power of that, he realized this man can meet my every need. He can he, he is powerful. He is he is someone I want to follow, someone I want to to learn from. And when he said, don't be afraid, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He said, you've been a fisher of fish. and That's good. That's not bad. That's a good way to make a living. I don't say it's wrong, but I have a greater purpose for you. So meeting Jesus gave Peter a greater purpose in life. He left fishing to follow Jesus to fish for men. And as we read the story all throughout Scripture, Peter was one of the leaders of the first church. He brought people to Jesus uh, to meet Jesus and then to be changed by Jesus. Jesus, Peter was one of the greatest leaders of the first church because meeting Jesus gave Peter a greater purpose in life. The second person I'd like, like to look at is in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And this is the story about a man named Nicodemus. So let me read that for us. Nicodemus, it says... Um, now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He was a man of some stature. He was listened to, and people uh, respected him as a leader, the Pharisee. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Um, and then Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Um, so, uh, he met Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him at night because being a religious leader and the religious leaders were trying to figure Jesus out. They didn't want to be seen as someone following him or trying to learn from him. He wasn't part of them. They didn't know what to do with him. So he came at night so he wouldn't be seen. He was doing secret so he wouldn't be seen. And so he said, Rabbi. He called him Rabbi, a term meant to say teacher. You teach others. Uh, a sign of respect. Whether uh, Nicodemus really respected him or not, he used the term of respect, Rabbi. We know that you are a teacher from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Maybe he had heard about the, his signs of turning the water into wine, healing others, uh, you know, whatever. He, he had heard, he saw his signs and said, no one can do these unless they're from God. So he's trying to maybe build Jesus up or maybe trying to, you know, I don't know what he was trying to do, but Jesus quickly turned and said to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he says, he didn't even recognize, you know, yeah, I appreciate you recognizing me, and yeah, I'm, I'm someone who is that. He just, he just looked directly at Nicodemus and said, enough about me, what about you? you? Unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus was kind of startled, I think, by that. He said, well, how can a man be born again, be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And I mean, oh, we all know that. No one as an adult in the physical form could go back into the mother and be born. And what Nicodemus, I think, was saying, I've heard other people say what he was saying is, how, can, how do you start over? He said, I've been practicing my beliefs for years. I'm a leader. I'm a ruler um, among the Jews. How do I start over? You mean I got to go back like a little child, start learning again? 
he was he was like that was so hard for him to hear you know I, I've done so much I've learned so much does this not count for anything and Jesus said unless one is born of the of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God he says uh, you got to be born again to see the kingdom of God the kingdom of God and then you got to be born of water and the spirit born of water of course is being born physically and born of the spirit is being born spiritually it's like, I'm glad you've learned. You know, it's good that you've learned and, and given yourself to study. But unless the Spirit illuminates the truth of God's Word, you will not understand it. You will not understand who I am. You have to be born of the Spirit. You have to realize that you cannot do this on your own. So he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's obvious. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. If you want to know about me and who I am, you have to be born Again, born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus, in that meeting with Jesus, he was changed. His life was changed. Meeting Jesus, Nicodemus learned that faith in Jesus, not in our works, make us acceptable to God. He learned that. Even though he, had, he, was, he wanted to put faith in all of what he had done in his life, in all the things and the accomplishments and all what he's learning, he wanted to put faith in that. And Jesus said, that means nothing unless you're born again. One of uh, Pastor Jay's favorite scriptures is in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about love. And then he says, you know, if you, if you speak with uh, you know, tongues of men and angels, but you have not love, it's worth nothing. If you give all you have to the poor and give your body to be you know, treated in whatever way, uh, but you have not love, it is worth nothing. You have faith that can move mountains, but you have not love. It's worth nothing. So Jesus says, you have all the learning you want. You can have done all these good things. But if you don't know me, if you don't put your faith in me and, and believe in me and be born again, be born of the Spirit, it's worth nothing. You cannot see the kingdom of God. If you're desire to see the kingdom of God, there's only one way, to be born again, to be born of the Spirit, to put your faith in in me. As we, we read on through the book, Gospel of John, uh, later Nicodemus shows up and he, he, he begin, you begin to see God working his life. And at the end, he is one of two men that took Jesus' body down from the cross and buried it. So there's, there's a real belief that he came to faith. He came to see. Yeah, he, he wasn't hard-hearted uh, like the others who turned against him. There's a belief that he, he came and became a disciple of Jesus. But he realized it wasn't because of all he had learned and all the things he had done. It's because he put his faith in Jesus and was born again. So Peter was changed. Nicodemus was changed. The third person, though, met Jesus, but sadly was not changed. In Matthew chapter 19, uh, verses uh, 16 to 22, we're going to read about a man who met Jesus and was not changed. Um, let me read. And behold, a man came up to Jesus Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to Jesus, Oh, all those I have kept. What do I still lack? Is there anything I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, 
if you would know me, basically, if you would have eternal life, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor that you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. He went away sad, for he had great possessions. A friend of mine recently told me, and I hadn't really realized this, but he, he pointed out to me that of all the people that met Jesus when he was here on earth and had interactions with him, this is the only time we read where the person who met him went away sad. Many times they became angry uh, because they were, guess what he was teaching? Uh, many times they rejoiced in the, the power of his teaching. They were astonished, amazed at his teachings. But this man went away sad because even though he said he wanted eternal life, he considered something else more valuable than having eternal life, than knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus. He came to Jesus and said, what good deed must I have to have eternal life? It's interesting. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Why do you ask me about what is good? You know, you know there's only one that's good. I'm almost thinking Jesus is playing with him. I almost said, are you saying that I'm good, which means I am God? Are you recognizing me for who I am? And then he said, told him, you know, if you want to enter to life, if you want to have eternal life, if that's really what you want, keep the commandments. And so he, he said, which ones? So he, he read off several of them, four or five of them. And uh, he man, oh, I've done this, you know, I've kept all of them. And I, I really believe he's like, no, you, you think you have, but you haven't. You know, you, you've not always, you know, murdered, not committed adultery. I mean, we even read in what Jesus was saying, it says that I committed adultery, but if you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery. And this man to say, I've, I've never done that. I've kept all of them. He says, no, you think you have, but you really haven't. Uh, have you loved your neighbor as yourself? And actually, we can see a little bit later, he didn't love his neighbor as himself. And he said, what do I still lack? And Jesus says, okay, you have one thing. Okay, If you will be perfect, go and what, sell what you possess, give to the poor. Give all you have away and come and follow me. And he says, he went away sad for he had great possessions. And for him, it was his possessions was of more value than following Jesus. He met Jesus. He had an interaction with Jesus. Jesus spoke the truth to him and told him what he needed to do. But unlike Peter, unlike Nicodemus and others, he walked away because he said, no, I, I, I want my possessions more than I want eternal life. I want what I already have than the promise of what you will give me. Meeting Jesus left this man sad. Maybe when he first met Jesus and he told him to keep the commandments, he was hopeful. He was, okay, I've, I've, I've done all those. Is there anything else? And maybe he was, saying, he was open, he would say, no, you just keep doing that, keep working hard, and you'll be good. But then Jesus knew his heart, knew where he was, was keeping him from truly following him. And he said, get rid of this in your life and then come and follow me. And the meeting Jesus left this man sad as he considered his wealth of greater the value than knowing Jesus. And each of us will in our lives will have to come to a point where we decide how much do we want to follow Jesus. And meeting Jesus throughout our lives, he will show us things we need to walk away from, give up to follow him, make sacrifices to follow him. Well, he'll say you know, over and over in our life, in my life over and over, he'll say, Take up your cross and follow me. Let this go 
and follow me. Get rid of this in your life and follow me. And we all have to come to that. This man said, no, I'm not willing to do that. And he walked away. You know, Jesus knew he couldn't go after him. He said, no, let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's, let, let, I will work with you. No, Jesus knew that unless he came to that point and was willing to leave everything as Peter did and follow Jesus, he wouldn't really follow him. So the third person met Jesus and his life was changed in the, the fact he didn't meet Jesus. He didn't really know Jesus. He didn't really, he said he wanted to know him, wanted to turn alive, but he didn't show it in his actions. So he went away sad. The fourth person I want to talk about and, and share with you is in John uh, chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. It's a passage that Rodney spoke on not too long ago. But John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Um, and I'll, actually, I'll start beginning in verse 53 of John chapter 8, of chapter 7, uh, and go on. Jesus was teaching in, 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 um, uh, in, in John chapter 7, and then it, it goes on to another episode. It says, uh, Then they each went to his own house, uh, the people Jesus were teaching, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. This was a kind of a, a normal daily activity of Jesus was to go to the temple, and people would gather to hear him because his teachings were so powerful and so life-changing. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst of the of the in the in, in the midst, they said to him, "Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery." Now, in the law of Moses, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So, what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without the sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So at this time in Jesus' life, and throughout his life, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because they were against him, they were trying to find some way to trap him in his teachings, or find some way to turn the people against him. He was drawing such crowds, and so many people were seeking him out, and they were trying to find some way to change that, to say, we, we can't have him go on teaching like this. He's drawing people, and they're listening to him more than us. So they kept find, trying to find ways to trap him and to show the people he's not teaching the truth, but they couldn't find. So they, they, they met this woman. They said she was caught in the act of adultery. So they brought her before him. And in Moses, in the law of Moses, Moses' teacher, which they built their lives around, and Jesus also said he came to fulfill the law of Moses, <coughs> the laws. <coughs> Moses did teach that anyone caught in the act of adultery was to be stoned to death. So they had a, a truth there that, yeah, this, this person is caught in adultery. They are to be stoned to death. So they put, him before, put her before Jesus. Okay, what do you say? What do you say we do? Are you gonna, and basically, they thought we'd trap him. If he says, stone her, she, she's going to be stoned. They'll say, look, you, you have no more concern for people than we do. 
Or they, they, they might, if he says no, love her. They say, but you're going against Moses. And you're against, so we can accuse you of teaching against Moses, which is against what we believe. And they could, they could have the people rise against him and get rid of him. So they thought, we have the perfect test for him. We're going to catch him now. We'll bring this woman there. Could have been a woman that was making her rounds among the Pharisees and, and, and causing them to, to uh, be in a relationship with her. And uh, so they wanted to get rid of her because she was a trouble trouble in their, in their midst. So I don't know. It we don't know. But they brought her to Jesus to say, we'll get rid of two problems at one time. We'll get rid of this woman because we need to stone her. And then we'll get rid of Jesus because we know we can trap him in this. He can't. He has to say he agrees with the law of Moses. And then we, he has to give us authority to stone her even though he would say no love her because they knew him to be a, a, a man of mercy, a teacher of mercy. But it says, when they asked him, they, Jesus bent down and rolled on the ground. You know, for years, we'll never know for sure. What, what was he writing on the ground? What was he writing? I have a, uh, a theory. Maybe I'm, I don't know if it's true, but, you know, I, you know, Jesus knew the law of Moses. Jesus read it, studied it. I mean, he, he is the word of God, so he knew it. So I kind of have a feeling he, he was writing the two parts of the law of Moses that address this. He said, yes, what you said is true. He says, uh, you know, he bent down on the ground, and there's two places in the Old Testament and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where it talks about someone caught in adultery. In Leviticus 20, chapter 10, it says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Was he writing this on the ground? Who knows? Maybe he was just writing Leviticus 20, 10. Uh, so they know what he's referring to. Yeah, that, that's what it says. He, he wrote that. I don't know. And then in Deuteronomy 22, 22, it says, If a man is fi found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. So Jesus is writing this on the ground, and they're watching, and they kept putting pressure. No, no, what, what, what did he say? What did he do to this woman? He stood up, and, you know, I'm thinking if he wrote this on the ground, he points to what he's wrote on the ground. And he says, let him who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. He says, if you're talking about the law of Moses and following the law of Moses, what does this say? This says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall purely be put to death. And if it says, if you've caught her in the act of adultery, where's the man? Why are you only wanting to stone her? Why are you not stoning both of them? You should have brought both of them. And they knew that they were wrong. They knew that they were breaking the law by not following what it said. And then he bent down and wrote again. And they just dropped their stones and walked away. And everybody among them knew that they were wrong. And they couldn't throw the stone because then they were condemning themselves unless they brought the man. And someone had suggested maybe the man was one of those who brought her out. Maybe they burst in upon the house of one of the Pharisees and found them together. And they were so angry with him, they grabbed her and so he wanted not to be seen as not being with them. He went with them and said, Stoner. He was, you know, a few uh, short time before, he was being very intimate with her. And then a short time later, he was saying, Stoner, Stoner, get rid of her. How uncaring would that be? But I don't know. But they knew that they were without, not, not without sin. So he said, let he who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone. He said, yeah, go ahead. If you have the only one that can truly judge and condemn a person is those who are without sin. And if you are without sin, throw the first stone. 
And it says, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and left Jesus along with the woman standing before him. So they left, they left. Instead of condemning themselves, even though their, their intent was to condemn her and Jesus at the same time, they knew to start throwing the stones, they'd be condemning themselves. And so they left. It says, beginning with the older ones. And walked away. When the older ones left, the younger ones said, we have no to stand on. They, they're the ones we're following them. And so they left. And then Jesus stood up. He said, well, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And then he said, neither do I condemn you. Go in from now on and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So basically, the only one who could have really condemned her was Jesus. And earlier in John, he says, the Son of Man has not come to condemn the world, but that the, the, world, the world through him might be saved. He came to suffer salvation, not condemnation. He came to take the condemnation of all of us on himself that we might experience life through him. So he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And he released her to go. Meeting Jesus, this woman found acceptance and forgiveness in a place of condemnation. She was truly guilty. They had caught her in the act. She was guilty. She, had not, she could not say otherwise. She had all the witnesses. And Jesus had every right to condemn her to death. But he says, I didn't come to condemn you. I've come to save you and to offer you life. So she found acceptance and forgiveness. He said, I don't forgive you. I don't, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. So four people met Jesus. and They met him in different ways, in different places in their life. Peter met him when he was, uh, he saw him do a miracle and realized and he didn't believe in him and that convicted him. Nicodemus met him and realized all his good works and great learning would not get him to heaven. The rich young ruler met him and, and realized he loved his possessions more than he wanted life of Jesus' offering. And the woman who was called in adultery realized she was absolutely worthy of any condemnation that come her way. Worthy of death. She, was, she should have been put to death. But she said, no. Jesus said, no, I don't condemn you. And each of us will meet Jesus in different ways. Okay. I think of Pastor Jay's story of how he met Jesus in his life. It's far different from my story. We're, we're different people. We met Jesus differently, but we all had a need to meet Jesus. Pastor Jay, as he shares, when he met Jesus, he was planning to commit murder. When he met Jesus, and, and Jesus changed his life. On the other hand, I was doing all the right things, I felt, when I met Jesus. I grew up attending church. My mother told me she took me to church when I was a baby so that I would be in church and hear the truth of God. And that's, by doing that, I learned all the biblical stories. Uh, in, in Sunday school, I knew them all. I, I, I loved them. I loved to read about them. And, and also, uh, I had a great desire to please people. I was a, the middle-born child in their family, and middle children many times want to please and be the, a peacemaker of sorts in their family. And uh, so I, I had a desire to please people. So I learned quickly how to do all the right things so I could be seen as good. I wanted to be thought of as good. I liked being thought of as good. And and hear, tell, hear people tell me how good I was. That made me feel good. I liked that. I even was believing that I was good. Then I hit high school. Through all my upbringing, through the... Before high school, I thought, I was a good. I was, I'm good. I, I stay with my church people. I'm good. My friends are okay. They don't try to 
lead me one way or another a ways. So I'm good. But then I started to make friends in high school. They were doing things and, and, and telling me things and that, that I knew weren't the way God wanted me to go. Uh, and I knew they weren't good, but, but I wanted to please them. I wanted to be their friends. I joined them in what they were doing. But I, I still went to church because so I could be thought of as being good by my, the people at church. And they could talk to me and tell me how good I was. But then I would go with my friends in high school do things I knew were not what God wanted. And they were not good. And so through living this way, what I, can, what I call a double life, I began to doubt if I was really good. Or I just wanted to be seen as good. I began to doubt my goodness through living this double life. And this double life continued until I graduated high school and I began college. And many of my high school friends left, so I didn't uh, have any people to please you know, by doing things that I knew weren't, weren't good, weren't helpful, weren't pleasing to God. And I was left alone with myself and my divided heart. I realized I had a divided heart. I, I love the stories of God, but I, I liked uh, things in this life as well. So. Where is my heart? It was divided. And I remember one Sunday at my church, uh, still in, in the church school, Sunday school, uh, in college, and still going uh, to be seen as good, and just, it just happened what I did. My Sunday school teacher asked us in the class, he says, do you know Jesus, or you just know about him? Basically, he was saying, have you met Jesus? Have you really met him? Or you just seen him from afar? And that day, as I pondered that question, do I know Jesus or do I just know about him? I realized I knew about him from my church experience, but I had really never met him personally, face to face. It was like I was observing him from afar, from a distance. And I liked what I saw. I really did. His life was very appealing. His teachings were appealing to me in many ways. But I knew if I truly met him, he would change me. And I didn't know if I wanted that change. I had I, I, a lot of questions. And until that day, when I was asked that question to ponder, and I really met Jesus, did I really know him? I was comfortable with just being acquainted with him, just knowing about him. I was comfortable. But that day, something happened. That day, though, I can say I met him. I came before him with my heart, my divided heart. and I, I just laid it all out for him. And he was there to receive me. He showed me my sinful heart and my deceptive ways. He showed it. It was pretty obvious. I saw it. But at the same time, he welcomed me to follow him and experience life, real life. He said, I will take your divided heart. I will forgive you of living this way, deceptively, with a divided heart. In exchange for that, I will forgive you and give you life. And when I met him, I saw him, I, like Peter, the woman called in adultery, I believe Nicodemus later in his life, I responded in faith, welcoming him into my life, experiencing his forgiveness and giving myself to him. And from the biblical stories we read earlier, I, like Peter, was given a greater purpose for my life. 
the things of the world began to fade and what the world was enticing me to be involved in began to fade. I had a greater purpose. I was living for a greater purpose. I was living for the king of the universe, not for the king of this life. I had a greater purpose. Like Peter, he, was, he gave me a greater purpose to live. And like Nicodemus, I understood that faith in Jesus, not my good works or my good actions or what I knew could save me from my sins. Only faith in Jesus. And like the woman caught in adultery, I experienced acceptance and forgiveness when I deserved condemnation. I met Jesus, and this is what he gave me. And thankfully, unlike the rich young ruler, I considered knowing Jesus of greater value than anything in the world. So as Peter, James, John, Andrew left and what they had and followed him, that day I began to follow him. I left the things that were holding me back and I, and I followed, began to follow him. I can't say I've followed him perfectly all those times and haven't, uh, you know, done things. And we even look at the life of Peter. Even when following Jesus, he, he had to be rebuked by Jesus and he was, uh, he was uh, convicted of sin and had to confess his sins and, and all. But still he followed Jesus and that's been my life. Meeting Jesus changed me. The Bible was no longer a book of good stories and morals. It became life for me. It became a book of life for me. And I wanted to be with other believers, not so that I could be seen as good, but so I could experience God's goodness with them. I wanted to be with them. I didn't go to church to be seen as good. I went to with them to experience God's goodness together. And I continue to do that today. That draws me to be with God's people so I can experience his goodness with them. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, I experience God's love and pleasure in my life. I'm not trying to earn it. I experience it because of what Jesus has already done for me. And I live not to please him, but I live because I know he's pleased to call me his child. This is why I live. Not because I'm trying to please him or to show him how good I am, but just because I know he's pleased with me. He's accepted me. He says, you are my child. I love you. And nothing can separate you from my love. And then I knew that I wanted to live my life inviting others to meet him as well. I wanted to tell the story. This is how I met him. You can meet him too. And that brings me great joy. So as I finish this morning, I ask you, what's your story? Have you met Jesus? Truly met him? If so, I invite you to rejoice in your relationship with him every day and see how let him change you to be more like him day by day. And if not, if you can say, no, I, I don't really think I've met Jesus. My life has not changed. I'm still doing things that are, I know, that I, I, I have a divided heart like I had. If you can say, no, I, I can't say I've met him. I invite you to meet him today. If you do, I can guarantee you, you will never be the same. He will change you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that you invite us to meet you. Thank you that Jesus came here to meet us where we are in our sinfulness, in our uh, deceptiveness, in our 
whatever state we're in, you met us. You, you, you sought people out. You sought Peter at the lake. You sought Matthew at the tax collector's booth. You, you, sought, you found the woman being condemned of sin. Wherever you sought people and you met them. And when they really saw you and understood you and responded in faith, you changed that. And I pray that will be our desire, to be changed by you as we respond to you in faith. So thank you. Thank you to invite us to meet you and to be in a relationship with you. I thank you for that throughout all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.